The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. That's what we're going to be shooting for today, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 19. We're building on what we've been talking about. If, if you were here the past couple of weeks, I talked about eternity and what awaits us on the other side. We talked about heaven and hell, and it was a springboard off of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses, where the first 10 verses talks about this idea of uh, two tents. Uh, that is, we live in a tent now, and later on we will have a perfected tent designed by God. This idea that we're going to have one body uh, later that is unlike the one we have now. It'll be a God-made one. But then also, by the time you got to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 10, is this idea of judgment. And so I'm just going to read that for us, uh, if you don't mind. Just look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read verse 10 for us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so the, the topic we're going to be tackling today is, is how to be healthy again with Jesus. And that's what I think Paul is trying to unpack. How, how do we get healthy again? And one of, I think for Paul, he would say, well, one of the things we need to do is remember who we are and what awaits us at the end of time. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that when we talk about this judgment here, that we're all going to be judged, this is, he's just talking to Christians right here. Now, it is true that people who aren't Christians will also be judged, but this is a reference to what is commonly called the Bema Seat Judgment, where all Christians come before Jesus. And this is not about whether or not you're going to make it into heaven. This is, as you are headed into heaven, we're going to pause and have an accounting for the good and the evil that you've done here on earth, uh, things you've said, done, thought, all that kind of stuff. And we all, we all agreed nobody's looking forward to that day. However, all right, by the time you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he begins to unpack this a bit, and his very first words in verse 11 are, therefore. And so you have to understand that when Paul's writing, he's writing in the context of what he has been talking about. Like, hey, listen, I was just talking about the idea. They're all going to be judged. Therefore, okay, building on this idea, knowing the fear of the Lord, all right, so he, he has this idea that knowing, therefore, because of what I just talked about, we're all going to be judged by Jesus. And I want you to know, therefore, because we know that fear of the Lord. Okay, now let me, let me pause there. There is a there's a healthy version of fear. There is Now, I'm not talking the Halloween kind of fear, right? That's, the, that's the, where you're scared of stuff, and you're not sure how it's going to turn out. No, this, this is not that kind of fear. There is a, a healthy kind of fear of the Lord that perhaps we need to recapture. Um, you know, so it, somebody asked me one time, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, does it really mean that we should be afraid of the Lord, or should we be scared of the Lord? Okay, well, let me, let me pause for a second. Whenever God shows up in Scripture... What is the response of people? Like when God shows up, do people look at me like, hey, what's up, God? Woo-hoo! Is it that kind of? No, that's not how it is. When God shows up, people are terrified. They just are. Exodus 19, God shows up on Sinai right before he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He shows up in a cloud, thunder, lightning, trumpet sound. People freak out, right? Or, or Isaiah, who's transported into the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6. He shows up in the throne room of God. He sees God sitting on his throne. He's got this massive robe that he's wearing. Isaiah, who is a prophet of God, doesn't look at God and go, what's up, my, you know, like, hey, you know. No, not at all. His, his response effectively is, I'm going to die. I'm, I shouldn't be here. And he, he says, look, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe to me, I have seen the Lord. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to die. I don't deserve to be here. I'm a sinner. And I come from a bunch of sinners, and I've just seen God in all of his holiness. He's terrified. 
Or even one of my, uh, another picture I love is, is when Peter is in the boat with Jesus. So Jesus is walking along the shore, he's teaching people, and then he wants just some amplification. And so he turns to Peter, he says, hey, take me out in your uh, boat a little bit, just a little bit off land, and let me teach the people from there. So he backs off and he's teaching and using the acoustics of the area, speaking to the people. Uh, and then he turns to Peter, he says, hey, Peter, I'll tell you what, you guys are fishermen, why don't you let your nets down and let's catch some fish here. And Peter's like, all right, listen, I get it, you're a preacher, we're fishermen. Hey, we've been fishing all night. That's the prime time. We didn't catch a thing. Like, this doesn't make sense, but, but I'll, I'll tell you what, because you, you've asked me, I'll humor you. And so he and the guys throw the nets down, and they have such an amazing catch that the nets almost begin to break. And uh, they're trying to haul these in. And, it, and it's in that moment, Peter's like, oh, dang, like, this, this guy's real. And, and here's the thing. He doesn't go like, oh, you're not. It, it breaks him. And he drops down to his knees and he just says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. So whenever God shows up in all of his glory, when, when the holiness of God is revealed, it breaks us. Right? That's the fear of the Lord. The awareness of the holiness of God that breaks you to your core, that reveals just how stained we are. It's not that God hates us or, or that we're afraid he hates us. It's not that. It is a reverential awe for the one who embodies holiness. That's what this is all about. And so, you know, Paul's not, he's not scared of God. Uh, in fact, I love this comment made by um, Dr. David Garland. He says, people try to anesthetize themselves from any perturbing fear of God. They contrive a sugary theology with an indulgent and permissive God who winks at all that we do or have become. By contrast, Paul works knowing that God will scrutinize all that he says and does. And so if I could sum it up this way, it should be this, that the awareness of the holy awesomeness of God should drive me to take my faith very seriously. That doesn't mean you can't be lighthearted along the way or enjoy the love of God. It's none of that. It's just this awareness that God, this God thing's real. And he's not my buddy, buddy, hey, you know, he is, he is severe in his judgment, but I'm his kid and he loves me. So there's this, this balance we, we hold. In fact, my wife and I were talking about this last night. And I, I said to her, I said, you know, when I think about God, I, the thing I think is this. I, I think he is both good and terrifying. Both good and terrifying. And my wife was like, ah, I don't know if I like the word terrifying. She's like, I, you know, people are going to associate that with maybe their bad fathers or something like that. And I'm like, I, I, I was like, well, one thing, babe, th- this thing's already been launched. That's going to be coming out on the fill in the blanks tomorrow morning. Uh, but, 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 the, but the idea is, I mean, I get it. Um, God is not like that. I, I just mean terrifying in that when he puts on the display of who he is, when he reveals who he is, it strikes us to our core. And that's really what I mean by that. It's the awesome nature of God. That's what I'm trying to capture. And so anyway, so Paul, with this very serious understanding, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. Now, he's going to use a lot of we statements as, as we go through this. Um, when, when Paul is talking about we, he's generally referring to himself and other apostles and teachers. So you know, we are, you'll hear him talk about we're ambassadors and uh, we carry the message of reconciliation and all this kind of stuff. Now, if you want to say, well, yeah, don't we also do that? Isn't that a part of our role as like uh, followers of Jesus that we also bear that? Yes, we, we do. That's a, that's a part of our great commission as well. Uh, but I'm just trying to contextualize what Paul is saying. So we're going to look at this, hear what he's saying, and be able to apply this to ourselves. Because he knows, like, we want to persuade others. And persuading others is simply you know, doing the best you can to present the truths of God in the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and then just leaving the results up to God. Like, we can't force people to follow Jesus. 
I wish we could. And there are people that do. They try. And uh, there are churches that try. And uh, those, are, uh, those, are, those are the scary churches. Those, those are scary ones. But um, no, I, I think it's just that the idea that we're just presenting truth the best we can. We're going to let people rationalize with that, work with that. Um, but if they reject, they reject. You know, there's nothing we can do. But the, but the thing I would just say for us is this that at least we should be intentional in seeking to persuade, living in light, if you will, of the fear of God. And, and so I would say this. I, I think it should be a constant awareness for us that we live in a world of eternal beings, and we should be constantly trying to engage them. And so I thought maybe there's some simple things we could do uh, that might help us with this. Now, one, I'll just give you a few ideas, just random ideas to, to help you live uh, with a constant idea of trying to persuade others to Jesus. So one is you can talk about what you're learning about the Lord. Right? So no, if you're in school, you're in the workplace, wherever you are, you can talk about your own life, right? They, they may say, hey, you're not allowed to you know, talk to others about their, like, hey, listen, I'm just talking about me. And so when you're talking to people, you know, hey, listen, you know what, let me tell you something God's teaching me these days. You know, that, now that, that phrase will probably get the attention of some people, right? <laughs> let me tell you what God's teaching me. You're like, God speaks to you? He sure does. Absolutely, through the word of God. <laughs> That's what he, he speaks to me. Um, you know, you can talk to, uh, you know, God's been teaching me a lot about patience. I'm learning about love. I'm learning about sacrifice. Uh, God's been showing me what an idiot I am at times. You know, whatever, just, just share with them your journey uh, as a way to engage in conversation and see if they'll take the conversation further. Here's another thing. I want you to offer to pray for people. Now, I, you got to be careful how you do this because we're in the South and somebody shares something, you'll be like, oh, you know what? I'll pray for you about that. Well, that, that's almost like saying, check you later. You know, like in the South, we, it's just a different kind of thing. So here's what I would say. Really mean it when you say it. So somebody says, uh, hey, I'm going through something. Get some details on it. Hey, wait, well, what's going on? You're, you're going through, what's, what's the struggle you're going through? And they share it. So, okay, listen, I believe that God is all powerful and I'm going to seek him on your behalf to intervene in this situation. Okay, now that's how you deliver a prayer, right there. That's like, you're talking about a prayer request. Like, I, I got you. And then, and then here's what, have you follow up with them later. Hey, how's that situation going? Oh, you know what? Actually, it's, it's getting a little bit better. You know why? Because God is all powerful. God answers prayer. You know, this idea that you're taking them back to the, here's, we're just trying to sow the seed of what we already know, that God's out there. Uh, here's another one. Uh, invite them to church. You know, we're talking to people in the office, hanging out with them, talking to people at school, like, hey, you got to come to my church. Come hang out. Let's hear a little bit about uh, what God has for us. I love my church. It's great. You know, talk about whatever it is. Uh, or if you just say, well, listen, I can do all those things. That doesn't necessarily bring them to Jesus. Okay, you want to bring them to Jesus? Go full gospel on them. You know, <laughs> yeah, you have to take your context, but if you want to talk about it, okay, you know what? I, you and I need to have a conversation. I've, I've done this with people before, but, uh, but it's healthy and it's good. Hey, let me tell you something. Uh, God created you, but you are broken. You were born in this world separate from him. And if you don't do something about this, you have an eternity waiting for you that you do not want. So let me tell you about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then you can unpack the gospel in that way. So just something, you know, just these ideas of, of living in the awareness of this, living in this, uh, the presence of God and trusting that he's going to do some work. Um, and so then anyways, he's, as Paul's unpacking this, hey, we try to persuade others, but what we are is known to God. Listen, the Corinthian church is struggling to accept Paul. If you've been with us for the past uh, few weeks, few months, you know that this is part of the issue. The Corinthians are struggling to accept Paul. Um, and Paul says, you know what? I'm not actually worried about whether or not you accept me because God, God knows what's up. He knows who we are. He knows that he's called us. He's, always, he's put this message here. Um, but I do hope that it's also known to you in your conscience, that this idea that there's something stirring in the back of your head, that when we speak, there's something inside of you going, this is real. Like, like the way they're sharing is different than the way some of these other teachers, these other famous teachers who've come through is, is striking me. Verse 12. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So 
Now Paul's going back to this very common concept in his day and age, the idea of commending oneself. Now, commending oneself, it's really just self-promotion. Now, you have to understand, self-promotion, at least in this day and time, and I would say even in our day and time, isn't always bad. Self-promotion can be okay. That is, when you're talking to people that don't know you, and you say, hey, listen, here's, here's why I think you guys can listen to me. Uh, I've been trained here. Uh, I've, I've studied under this person. Uh, I've had this experience in my background. Um, th- these are people you know that I've been connected to. Like, you kind of lay out your resume verbally, and at the end of it, people go, oh, Okay. And so Paul says, listen, I don't need to go through that again. You guys know me. I've already said all that stuff. I don't have to commend myself again. Here's what I'd like to see. That you guys, having listened to me and the other guys that are with me, that you've listened to us enough that you say, no, they're legit. And not only are you accepting that, but now you're beginning to promote and tell others about us. That no, their message is for real. And and this caution uh, about those who look on the outward appearance, they struggle in their day and age with the same stuff that we struggle in our day and age. So when you're a kid you figure out how the world works pretty quickly, right? The, so the people that, uh, that are significant, the people that are important in the world, they're, they're pretty, they look good, they're strong, they have athletic ability, they have some sort of talent, uh, they come from money, whatever. Like that's what, and all the rest of the people, yeah, they're just not that, that's just not that big a deal, right? Now we, now we know that's messed up because <laughs> that's not true at all. But what happens is kids who grow up in that and they think, yeah, I, I can't play on the football team, I can't sing, I don't get good grades. You know, they grew up with this idea that I'm, I'm kind of a nobody in the world and the other people are somebodies. Hey, wait, wait, that's not how God defines things. I mean, I, I bet if we did a survey in this room to find out about your self-image right now of everybody in here, that a lot of people here would find they, they really struggle with kind of a lower view of themselves. You know why? Because we let other people define us. Other people don't define us. God defines us. And we're either his beloved, dear, precious, awesome child in Jesus Christ, or we are unknown. <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're this other. But one way or the other, it's, it's who we are before the Lord that defines us. And, and when I think about that perspective, I'm reminded it's the same thing Paul's saying. You got to be careful you don't look on the outside. It is not uh, just the pretty people. It's not just the, uh, the people that write for us uh, books or sing songs or on TV or even have huge followings, you know? And we've got to be careful who we listen to. We need people who articulate and understand well the word of God. And whether it is through music or books or speaking or whatever it is, that's the people we really want to listen to, which means then we all have to be careful about those to whom we give ourselves over to for teaching, instruction, and encouragement. And so, you know, I've talked to people before where they'll share with me, oh, I'm reading this book by this person, and I love it. And sometimes I'll say, ooh, you know, that's not really a good author. You probably shouldn't be reading them. And they'll be like, well, uh, pastor, this huge church, and they got, you know, millions of people. Are about like, no, they, they've got bad theology. And, and I've even had people say to me, well, it really encourages my faith. All right, so can I tell you, as a pastor, when you say uh, a bad theologian is encouraging my faith, that is discouraging to me, right? I with all the great writers out there and great speakers out there, surely we can find people that understand who Jesus really is and what he has for us. And so I just, I just offer that caution. Uh, but, you know, and if you're saying, by the way, how would I ever know? You can just talk to us. <laughs> like, hey, should I? Actually, after the first service, somebody came up to me and said, hey, what about this person? Should I be reading them? And I was like, I don't know. Never heard of them. So uh, you're, sometimes you're on your own, but we'll move on. All right. Yeah, no help at all. All right, so let's talk about this idea. Let's talk about a healthy form of crazy. Okay, healthy form of crazy, verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. All right, now, literally, he's just saying this. Hey, listen, if you think we're crazy, then you need to know this. We're crazy for Jesus. 
And uh, if we're in our right mind, though, then you need to know we're all in it for you. I love that idea. If we're crazy, we're crazy for Jesus kind of thing. Um, So who here has ever in your life been accused of being too religious, Jesus freak, too religious, whatever. Just put your hand up if you're too. Okay, I, my desire is that one day it would be everybody. That's what I really like. You know, live out loud your faith. I love it. Don't, you don't have to be offensive. Just live out loud. But if you live out loud enough, people are going to be like, whoa, dial it back there, cowboy. You know, and I, I, I love this idea that, hey, listen, I may be crazy, but I am crazy for the Lord. And one day when all of that is revealed, we're going to be the most sane people in the room, right? You're like, oh, y'all were right the whole time. You're like, I know, that's what I said. You should have been crazy too. So, um, I, as I'm thinking through this, I'm, I'm thinking about the idea that when a minister stands before his people and says, I want you to know something, there's a reason I do this. It has nothing to do with popularity, has nothing to do with money, has nothing, it, it, I do it just for you. Like That's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, we're, we may be a little crazy for the Lord, totally get that, but you need to know something. The only reason we're in this is for you. I mean, how encouraging to, as, from a body of believers to hear that, that, that those people who are serving you, the only reason they're in it is for you. They want you to be who God wants you to be, to understand what God has for us. Uh, that's what Paul says. And uh, I would hope that uh, that's what the staff of Sandy Hills Community Church would communicate to you as well, as well as uh, other churches in the area, their ministers as well. And then I love this where he unpacks verses 14 and 15. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, so now at this point, maybe you're having two, like one reaction you may be having is, hmm, hmm. Now another reaction you might be having is, what did he just say? Yeah, so, you know, I I get it. You know, scripture, it's like Yoda wrote part of scripture and it's it's hard to understand. So let let me unpack a little bit of this. For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, now I love that. The love of Christ controls us. Love of Christ. Like this idea that, that I realize that everything in my life is submitted to Jesus Christ or should be submitted to Jesus Christ. It is, it is my awareness of who Jesus is and of, of who I am in Christ that defines the way I live. Now, here's my question. Would, would you say that about you? Now, I get sometimes you got to do stuff, you got chores, you're at school, you're at work, you got other things going on that kind of cloud your mind. But in general, do you live in the constant awareness that you're under the authority of Jesus Christ? That's really, that would be my hope, that we would say, the love of Christ controls me. Here's how you know. Uh, are there times during your week where uh, maybe you'll be checking out at the supermarket, um, and as you're checking out the supermarket, you're interacting with the cashier, and you're thinking, this person, I don't know, they need Jesus. Lord, is there anything right now I could say to them? Is there way I could pray? Like, how can I interact? Uh, and then even this, if you, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you walk away and you keep thinking, oh, you know what? I, I should have said this, or I, I, should have, I should have offered to pray for them, or I should have invited them to, like, you ever have those experiences? So a lot of times those, those cause uh, a sense of defeat in us. And I would say, but don't let that cause a sense of defeat in you, because here's something you can be encouraged about. It means you're, you're, you're walking through life in the awareness of eternity. Like, that's, a, that's an encouraging thing. Like, don't get discouraged about that. And then just next time, try to say something. You know, that'd be, that thing. So this idea that I'm always living in the constant awareness, that's what he's saying. So it is the love of Christ that controls us. And I've concluded this, that he, he died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake uh, died and was raised. So this idea of that we've been transformed by the sacrifice of Christ and that we are all 
all ministers of the grace of God to the ends of this earth. All of us. We get confused about this. I know we do because we think, well, that's, that's, that's ministers and that's missionaries. They do all that work. And listen, that is not ever God's perspective. God's perspective is that all of, a ki- all of his kids would do all the work. And let's be honest, if you left all the work of the church just up to those that got paid to do it, how much of the work would we get done? Very little, very little. And I'll tell you why, because those other people who get paid to do it, they have to answer email and they have to do uh, paperwork and they've got to, do, like, they've got to organize activities. Like there's a lot they're doing. They can, this is not full-time going out to everybody. So we've all got, but if we all share the load, this thing gets done. And so here, it doesn't matter then if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a CEO, blue collar, white collar, male, female, single married, like none of that matters. If you are in Christ, then you're a Christian and Christians are servants of God and stewards of God's truth. Christians are servants of God and stewards of God's truth, all of us. We're all servants of God, stewards of God's truth. And then what we realize is that we've been radically saved so that we can radically serve. That's what we've been called. We've been radically saved so that we can radically serve, that there is something in this world that only we can do. And I will tell you this, you know, if we say there, well, that's, that's like professional people do that. No, listen, I've met ministers who've lost the passion. You ever listen to a minister who lost their passion for Jesus? What a discouraging message they bring, right? You're sitting there listening to him going, wow, do you even love the Lord? Like, what's going on here? Like, and and uh, by contrast, I've met uh, uh, a guy that paints houses for a living and talks about Jesus all the time. He sees more transformation in a week than some of those other ministers see in a, in a month. You know, it's just, so it's just, we just got to live out loud is what I would call us to. So when we think about uh, this love of Christ that compels us and what he's done for us, when we look at our lives, when we look at our relationships, uh, we think about our schools, our jobs, uh, our money, our time, we've got to be reminded that everything around us, in us, through us is all subject to the Lord. Now, when's the last time in your prayer time that you reminded God that you knew that? All I am, all I have, all I do is yours. Now, when's the last time we, we prayed? So, so here's, what, here's what I thought we'd do. Because, you know, this is not like, a, it's not like guilt trip Sunday. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I prayed. That. Let's pray right now. Here, bow your head with me. Let's do this. Jump on board with me in your head if, if you can pray this prayer. Uh, Lord, as we think about this today, this is a great reminder, a great reminder, Lord, that everything we have, everything we say, everything we do, who we are, is all subject to you. The love of Christ controls us. And Lord, we would all say, not as much as maybe we should, uh, or we should have uh, liked to see in our lives. And so we would just pray this, Jesus, if there's any place in our life where right now we are holding back from you, we offer it to you now. And Lord, I may not have the strength to hand it to you, but you certainly have the strength to take it. And so I pray that you would. I want my life to be defined by the, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so it, as we're going through this, and he's unpacking this, he, he makes this comment that confused, it's confusing to some, where he says, Jesus died for all. And it's not just here, throughout Scripture. Jesus died for all, he, he's uh, given his life for all, all can be saved. You know, When you see this stuff, you're like, so then what does it mean? Well, let me give you a couple words I learned years ago that I love when we talk about the death of Christ being for all people. Because if you're not careful, you venture into heresy. And a heresy here would be universalism. Universalism means Jesus died, resurrected from the grave, paid the debt of mankind, therefore all are saved. Everybody goes to heaven, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your faith. Okay, that's a lie. That's not what scripture teaches. We also know this, that when you're reading a work, just like when you're having a conversation or writing an email to somebody, 
you're not always saying everything you understand about a particular topic in that moment. You're just saying a couple things about a subject from time to time. But if anybody ever wants to know exactly what you believe about the whole thing, they can't do it in sound bites. They have to take the totality of your work and what you believe, what you've written, said, uh, and, and, and then they have to put that together and they get a, a vision of what you really understand to be true. That would be true with the Apostle Paul. And the two words I love are the difference between sufficient and efficient. That is, the death of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay the debt of all of mankind with God. But it only becomes efficient for those who submit themselves in faith to Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter uh, 10. Uh, same author, again, saying something else. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So everyone who believes in him. Uh, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, so salvation is conditional, conditional upon our response. Uh, that's what uh, Paul unpacks for us. Then you get to verse uh, 16. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. All right, so we don't regard people according to the flesh. Now, what this means really is that as a Christian, we understand you cannot tell the quality of a person by looking at them. It's, it's that simple. Right, you know that, right? You can't tell them. I'll tell you this, when I, when I was coaching my kids as they're uh, young and they're both still single, one of them about to be married, but uh, well, you know, however that works out. So I work, <laughs> still trusting Jesus for that whole thing and, and it's crazy. I can't, I'm too young to have a daughter who's married. Another, I'll work that out with my counselor. Um, the, as, as I'm processing this, I'm thinking this idea. We know, you know, so as I'm coaching my kids as they're choosing people to date, people to hang out with, you know, whatever it would be, don't go by the outside appearance. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter the talents, it doesn't matter how much money they seem to have, none of that matters. What matters is in here. Find out what's in here first, then you can figure out the rest. And I don't care if you marry ugly if they love Jesus. You know? That's a, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that one out loud, but you know, some of this stuff gets in my head. Um, so anyway, but this idea that, and, and Paul even says, you know, and people did that with Jesus. They looked at Jesus, he suffered, he was arrested, he was tortured, he was crucified. People looked at that and they said, well, that's not our Savior then. That would never happen to the Son of God. And he's like, see, a whole generation missed it. So we got to make sure we don't ever fall into that trap again. And so he calls us back to this healthy perspective, this healthy perspective, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, one of the best verses in all of scripture right here. Just as good as all the others anyway. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Like You know, honestly, that's just like, drop the mic, I'm out. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You know, that's like, that is such a great verse. And so I want to give you this challenge. Who here would commit to memorize that verse over the course of this next week? Who here would memorize 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Put your hands in the air. I want to say it. Hands in the air. All right, here's the deal. So turn to the person next to you. I hope you come with them consistently, or at least you sit next to them. They're a pew buddy, right? So just turn to them and say, by next week, I will have this verse memorized. And I will say it to you out loud or I will give you a dollar. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, this is, I mean, I love this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So this, when I think about this, it means when I look at the old Jeff, like all of us have, if your old self, right? If you're in Christ, and especially if you've been a Christian for a period of time, your old self, you're ashamed of what you used to be, what you used to do, who you used to, like, when I think about it, but here's, when I, when I look at scripture, here's what I realize. That, that old Jeff, that old knucklehead that used to, I'm not related to him. That's a different guy. Like, and see, this is why people think Christians are hypocritical because, ah, you know, you, you say and do different things. No, no, no. 
I, I was a different thing, and now I'm a new thing, right? I, I'm a new creation. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The old's died. And then I love this. Behold, the new has come. That behold is actually in the original language. That behold, where, where he pauses. The old has passed away. Behold. It's like, hey, check this out. Bam. The new has come. I like what I think. Like, that's us in Christ. The old turkey used to be. Now, listen, I get we still got to work through some of that. But, but the idea is that that's not me anymore. That didn't define me anymore. That your past does not define you. Amen. Look at verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them, praise the Lord, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So here's the thing, he talks about this. And I'm going to tell you this, this whole wonderful thing that's happened in your life, you're not responsible for it. God did everything. You didn't have to do any of the heavy lifting. All you had to do was believe. And all this became true of us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, just this reminder this morning about what you have done for us. Lord, we know we're not worthy. We don't deserve. And yet in your grace, in your kindness, you sent Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to pay the debt of our sin, to reconcile us to our Father from whom we had been born separate into this world. Lord, we pause this morning just to remember your goodness and thank you for reconciling us to you through Christ in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.